today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's get right into the budget stuff. Uh, we want to find out exactly how this government is going to be spending our money. Uh, you know, the government's been in place since uh, June of last year when Rob Ford was elected. This is their first full budget. And a lot of speculation about what may or may not be in there. Joining us to talk about that, Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Hi, Marvin. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks. Don't want to start you off with a correction, but it's Doug Ford who was elected, not Rob. Oh, my mistake. My mistake. <laughs> uh, that changes everything then. It does. <laughs> uh, what should we expect today? I mean, th- there's an awful lot of concern here that this is going to be slash and burn, and this is, you know, they're going to slash, the- cut this off, we're not going to get funding for this anymore. Uh, there's going to be, you know, this, the Dickinsonian attitude to what may-, may be happening here. Are we worried about mu- too much about nothing here? I don't, I don't think so, but for this reason, Bill, last June when, when Doug Ford was elected, he was elected without really putting forward a platform. This is quite unusual. Both the Liberals and the NDP said, elect me and I'm going to do this and that and something else and launch this and that and something else. And all that Doug Ford said to everyone was, elect me and I'm going to try to balance the budget. And uh, he was elected in part because of that, and also in part because he wasn't the Liberals. So many people had gotten tired of them. Uh, I thought we were going to get a hint of what the Doug Ford agenda would look like last fall when they did their midterm economic update, but they really didn't do all that much at that time. So this is their first big chance to take the reins of government and, and go from there. To give you a little context, if you don't mind, um, Ontario takes in about $150 billion of revenue. 150, that's with a B, $150 billion of revenue. And last year, when the Liberals brought down a budget, they were not balanced. They were running a deficit of around $11, $12 billion. So that means about an 8% gap between what they took in and what they spent. They were spending more than they took in. Uh, there are two ways to close that gap, if this is what Doug Ford is going to do to balance the books. One is to generate more revenue, and that would normally happen just thanks to inflation. You know, everyone gets a little raise periodically at their work site. Well, as soon as you get a raise, the government gets more money, and that typically is about 1% to 1.5% more money. And so then how do you close the other 6.5%? Well, then you've got to do something on the spending side. We've had some warning prior to this uh, date uh, that the, one of the ways he's going to do it is what he calls efficiencies. He's going to find efficiencies. Uh, some of those efficiencies we've heard about in the education sector that as teachers retire, they're not going to be replaced. And in fact, over roughly a four-year period, they're hoping to save nearly a billion dollars in the education budget by not replacing roughly 3,200 teachers. Now, that's good or bad, depending upon your perspective, but that's only one sector. Uh, if you're going to truly save $6.5 billion or so, excuse me, you're going to have to do something with health care. You're going to have to do something with universities and colleges and some of the other big spending spots. And that's what's got us a little bit on on tenterhooks today as we're waiting for this. How fast is he going to try to balance the books? If he tries to do it in one year, expect slashing and burning. If he's content to say, no, as long as I bring down the deficit by a billion or two every year over four years and you can see me moving towards balance, then it'll be a calmer, gentler kind of cutting we see today. But I think we'll still see cutting. I, I think one of the things that's causing a great deal of angst, though, is that those two areas that you, you just talked about, uh, education and health care, usually were things that governments would tend not to want to do too deeply, cut too deeply, because they were kind of sacrosanct. And uh, that doesn't seem to be the case with this government. Well, again, here's your challenge. If you've been elected on a, a platform of balancing the books, 
number one spending in the province, uh, uh, something like 43 cents out of every dollar it takes in, is health care. And right behind it is education. Those are number one and number two. Uh, a distant fourth, a distant fourth is actually servicing the debt that you've accumulated. And everyone gets upset about that. It's about $12 billion a year. But the first two together are over $100 billion in spending. So there's no way I think you can balance these books if you don't do something with that spending. And the question is, how fast does he try to do this? What's he going to try to do? Now, you know he's done some other things in the last little while to create efficiency. So we heard a few months ago, or maybe a month and a half ago, they were merging all these different health care agencies into one super agency and, of course, eliminating, eliminating some positions in there. Uh, you heard them uh, in the fall. They were eliminating some of these commissioners. One was the environmental commissioner. There was a, another one on... Uh, child care. So, you know, he's done some of those kinds of things, but all of those savings are relatively minuscule if you need $8 billion in savings. And that's really the question that we're sitting on here. And finally, Bill, let me also say, I think along with some of these big announcements, he's going to throw in some little tiny, almost nonsensical announcements, but things that people can get their mind around to almost act, if you will, as a diversion. You've heard those as well. We're going to change the license plate slogan, both for uh, 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 residential vehicles and commercial vehicles. Uh, we're going to uh, change the logo for the province of Ontario. These amount to nothing other than a nice distraction. And if you've got bad news, sometimes the distractions help you sell the bad news. Sure. And, and if you throw numbers around, I mean, it's it's easy to massage numbers here. Uh, but there's already been some analysis on that. I mean, you talked about, uh, for instance, there's a tax cut for the, the lowest uh, income tax bracket here. Uh, but the analysis has already been done on that, and apparently that's not going to put people any better off than they were before. That Raising the minimum wage would have been better, uh, and that wouldn't have cost them anything. I mean, that's obviously something the businesses would be harping about, but uh, it's it's really just a matter of saying, hey, we're really doing something for you here, but only a small segment of the population are going to benefit from that. That's why I guess the analysis is so important here instead of just looking at some of the big numbers. Well, and as well, you know, uh, at the same time that Doug Ford was doing something, he, again, along with balancing the budget, his his other uh, promise, if you will, was, folks, I'm going to put more money back in your pockets. So he, he's come up with this tax cut for the poorest, uh, and that's going to generate roughly or save them roughly $410. A minimum wage increase would have actually given them $810, but it, you're right, it wouldn't have come out of their pockets. But I think while he's doing all that, and we're all studying that, he's also reduced the rates for the highest income earners, going to put significantly more money in their pockets, money they don't necessarily need to have. But if I'm trying to get reelected, it's always nice to give my friends a little something along the way. Yeah, because we've talked about this, and you and I have talked about this, of course, about what's going on with the brackets. And I, and I guess the thing that, that frustrates an awful lot of people, and economists for that matter, too, is that the tax break for the lowest income is only going to have an impact on about 37% of that tax bracket. Uh, the rest of them don't even qualify for it. So, uh, you know, he gives one hand, takes away with the other. But that's that's typical of governments during budget that is time. typical of governments. That's, that's pretty much the way they do it. It's uh, And we've... You know, it's it's hey, look at this over here. What guy got free here? Don't 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 mind what's going on over there. Never mind that. That's that's not literally that important, but it is really. Uh, so you have to look at this really holistically to see what kind of an impact it's going to have on us on our everyday lives. Right. To give you another example of smoke and mirrors, uh, there's a little battle going on between Queens Park and Ottawa, so to speak. Certainly, you've heard this on the carbon tax question. Now, when Doug Ford was elected, he promised that he was going to do something around gasoline prices, and of course, the first step was to cancel the cap-and-trade, and that saved us roughly $0.04 cents a litre. That $0.04 cents a litre now is gone, now that we've substituted the carbon tax for the cap-and-trade. But he'd actually promised to reduce gasoline prices by 
10 cents a liter. The first four cents was going to come from uh, the cap and trade, but then the other six cents were going to come from reducing the Ontario uh, tax at the pump. I'm curious to see if he follows through on that promise, or even if he phases it in over the four years. So, for instance, he might say, ultimately, I'm going to save you another six cents. This year it's one and a half cents, and I'm going to do another one and a half cents the year after. Uh, I suspect we may hear something like that, and he's going to do that to contrast. You know, here I am trying to help you at the pumps. Justin comes along, and he's trying to harm you at the pumps. He, he's really trying to set up this dichotomy because he's also trying to help his friend, if you will, or partner, Andrew Shear get elected this fall. Let me ask you about that, because there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on on social media about this gas price and, and what they might do and the tax impact, and et cetera, et cetera. As, as you mentioned, when he killed the cap-and-trade program, uh, that eliminated about $0.04 cents, uh, per litre out of the price of gasoline. And, and of course, he took credit for that, because you know, that's the name. But now that the the, the, the other ca- tax has gone in here, the carbon tax has gone in on this, uh, and uh, they, he's talking about it's going up about $0.11 cents per litre, but that's over a four-year period, isn't it? Oh, yes, absolutely. So remember how the carbon tax is supposed to work. At this moment, in 2019, the federal carbon tax is $20 per ton of carbon dioxide released. But it doesn't stop there. It starts there. And the idea is that while that's a little bit of pain for you, it's not really going to be enough pain maybe to change your behavior. So the federal plan is to take it from $20 this year to 30 next year to 40 the year after that and 50 the year after that. So if $20 equals $0.04 a liter, $40 equals 8 and ultimately when you get to 50 you're going to be at 10 cents a liter of uh, increased cost at the pumps, hoping that that is enough to get you to change some of your behavior. So when he's um, complaining about this and wants to put stickers, he wants to have mandatory stickers on all the pumps explaining this to you, and I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think people need to understand the impact of these programs. But at the same time, I wouldn't mind him putting a sticker on to explain how much of that gas price that you're paying goes to the province and how much of that goes to the federal government. I think you would actually be surprised to see just how much goes to the province. It's a little bit of crocodile tears blaming Justin for the problems because the province actually gets a bigger share of that revenue than the federal government does. Well, exactly, and that that's not going to be on the sticker, unfortunately. No. The other element to this, too, though, had he not touched cap-and-trade, Marvin, uh, and the gasoline prices were what they were, uh, there wouldn't be any carbon tax because we wouldn't be a part of that program. Right, and yet, funny, here's the other thing, Bill. If you just did your income taxes for 2018 and you completed Schedule 14, you got a, a green energy credit or something to that effect. Uh, I got $154. I wouldn't be getting $154 from the federal government if it wasn't for Doug Ford. So in a way, I have him to thank for canceling cap and trade because I got a little something on my income tax. But yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, this federal carbon tax only affected Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and New Brunswick because the other six provinces had a plan in place to do something about carbon. Doug's plan, and he did unveil a plan last fall, or his energy um, minister did, or environmental minister did, but it, it isn't really much of a plan at all, and that's why we're stuck with the carbon tax. He got rid of one and didn't have a replacement. When we talk about cause and effect here, and I, you touched on this the day they made this announcement, but I want to talk a little bit about the, the tuition uh, decrease that he came out with a little while ago uh, and the pushback from universities and, frankly, from student associations at the same time. Uh, that generally is going to mean less revenue for universities, colleges, etc. How's, how's that going to have a long-term impact on, on those institutions? 
Well, uh, you know, it, it's a significant question. Uh, what's happened with the government over time was that they said, look, there's less money that we can put into the pot for education. So, okay, universities, if we can't keep you um, on the leading edge with our funding, we're going to allow you to increase tuitions. Now, that wasn't an unlimited increase. They put a cap on how much it could go up, normally at roughly the rate of inflation, so you could increase tuition by 2%, maybe uh, maybe 2.5%. Um, and what uh, Ford came along and said was, I, I have a way to help make education more affordable. I'm not only going to uh, put the cap at zero, you can't raise tuition, but I'm going to have you roll back tuition on any program that, that we fund. Now, uh, university said, okay, that's fine. Uh, you're going to roll it back. And, of course, you're going to make up for the shortfall of revenue, aren't you? He said, no, 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 no. You just have to deal with less revenue. At McMaster, we offer some educational programs which are fully funded, meaning that uh, the cost of tuition covers the entire cost of offering that program. This is often at the graduate level or at some other senior levels. But most basic undergraduate education is still subsidized by the provincial government, something to the tune of around 35%. And so what they've done there is they said, we're not going to give you more operating dollars and we're going to cut the revenue you get from tuition. What we believe is going to happen at McMaster, I say we meaning the faculty, is that we're going to see increased class sizes, and that seems to be a common refrain around the province. It really, all you have to do is pack more students into the same room to try to make everything work out. Uh, and obviously those are some of the other implications that we'll talk about, which is why the analysis is going to be so important in this. Uh, and and we're speculating, but this is this is kind of unusual. i got about a minute left here. Because uh, I can remember the days, Marvin, where the, you know there's, there was total secrecy about the budget uh, because they were concerned of what the impact it was going to have on markets. And, you know, so, I mean, people lost their jobs if there were budget leaks <laughs> yeah, in the past. Exactly. They've told us half of this stuff already. Well, I think what I'll call it is floating balloons. They floated balloons to see what might resonate with people and what might be harder to sell to people. So obviously the changes to education, which led to a protest in Queen's Park last week, that one's a harder to sell, so they know they've got to marshal their forces. There may have been other things they have launched or, or floated up there and got no reaction at all. They said, oh, okay. So they know how to spin this. And, and I think for Doug Ford, this is the other part of it. Not only is this his first budget, but now he's got to sell this first budget to all those people who elected him. I'm already seeing letters to the editor of people saying, well, I didn't know that's what he was going to do, so I'm not going to vote for the man again. Well, that's, that's not good if I'm the party in power, so I've got to go out and sell my budget to people, sell my vision to people, and I think that's why he's floated some of the balloons. But I also think he's got a few left in reserve, and probably they are some of the biggest balloons and maybe some of the hardest to sell. We'll be surprised at 4 o'clock today. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. As always, Marvin, thanks so much for this today. Glad to be here, Bill. Okay, we'll talk again soon. By the way, tomorrow... The day after uh, the budget is released, uh, Finance Minister Vic Fidelli will join us here on The Bill Kelly Show, I think just after 9 o'clock. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.